If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 32 today. And the title of this sermon is Walking with God. Genesis 5, 1 through 32. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of the Black Pew Bibles under your chairs, our gift to you. We'd love for you to have it. you had to make a list of the 10 most important individuals in the last thousand years, who would you put on it? And what would be your criteria for doing so? Time Magazine has their list of 100 each year. They include artists, innovators, leaders, pioneers. It's always controversial who they do and who they don't put on that list. Who would you include if you had to pick 10 for the last thousand years? Well, today we come to Genesis chapter 5. And many might see this text as another dusty, old, boring, pointless genealogy. But it's far from that. Just by a quick show of hands, how many of you think genealogies are boring? It's okay, I did for the longest time. I hope today I can give you a little taste of their importance in Genesis and in Scripture as a whole. Moses is doing something very specific here to teach us truth and to highlight these truths in very intentional ways. So with that, let's dive into the text. This is the word of the Lord, Genesis 5, 1 through 32. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Then Seth had lived 105 years. He fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 107 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, he fathered, or thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived, after he fathered Kenan, 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalal. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalal 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalal had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalal lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalal were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. 
When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. While there's a lot going on in this section of text, I want us to zero in on three specific truths because I believe that's what Moses wants us to do based on the structure of this genealogy. Our three main points today are these. Point one, the image and blessing of God. Point two, death and life. And point three, hope. So point one, the image and blessing of God. Look with me at verse one. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Before we even get going, I want to point out this crucial phrase, the generations of. It's the Hebrew word toledot. And on it hangs the structure of the entire book of Genesis. Ten different times the book of Genesis uses this word toledot, translated the generations of, to move from one section to another. We first saw this phrase in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. We see it again here in our text today. We see it in chapter 6, verse 9, and then again at the beginning of chapter 10, so on and so forth throughout the whole book of Genesis. The point is this. Moses is intentionally using this word as a structure marker to clue us in to his outline of theological thought. And I want to remind us of where we are in context of this book. The previous chapter, chapter 4, other than the, the ray of hope at the end with the birth of Seth, that chapter was pretty dark. Things weren't looking good for humanity. The first two offspring were born into the world. One, Cain, brutally murdered the other, Abel. Then, Cain's line, seventh from Adam, produced Lamech, a brutal killer, full of vengeance, who was also a polygamist. Again, other than the ray of hope found in Seth's birth, the line of Cain showed us the results of the fall and that they were pretty horrific. Sin was spiraling and the world was becoming more and more and more broken. So, in light of that context, 
Let's read the first two verses of our text once again, verses 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Do you see how these verses are a hopeful reminder to God's people and to all of humanity in general? Yes. You read chapter 4, you immediately know that the curse is real. But God's plans for humanity, he's wanting to tell us here, aren't over. These verses are reminding us of God's original creation order in the garden. First, God created man and made him in the likeness of God. Remember the image language from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Mankind was created in the image of God, male and female, to represent God on earth, to carry out the dominion mandate, to benevolently rule, for everything to flourish under their benevolent rule. Then, immediately following these verses, look at verse 28 in chapter 1. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see that? Image language followed by God's blessing. Specifically, the blessing of being fruitful and multiplying. Spreading God's image all over creation through childbearing. Back to Genesis 5. I'm going to read it once again, verses 1 through 3 this time. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. What's Moses teaching us? He's teaching us that the image of God and the blessing of God continue on even after the fall, even in the midst of the fall. God created Adam in his own likeness, in his image. Adam had a son in his own likeness, after his image. God's image isn't destroyed. Even after the fall, it's passed on. And along with that, the charge to rule the earth under God as his representatives. There's an enormous amount of dignity here. And as we continue on through this genealogy, several different things stick out. Each of these named people, if you notice, each of these named people have numbers of years attached to them. We didn't see that in the line of Cain last week, did we? Yet, here we are. 
This person lived X number of years. This person lived Y number of years. It's almost as if Moses wants us to understand that this line is different. This line is special. It's the line of blessing. Think baseball cards. A baseball card has a picture and a name on the front. And what does it have on the back? Stat lines, right? Numbers from a person's career to show you the impact that they had on the game. While not a perfect one-to-one analogy, the point is this. Moses gives us years here, and not in chapter 4, in the genealogy of Cain, to again distinguish between these two lines of seeds or offspring. These seeds are special. They have a stat line. They're known and remembered by God. And remember where we started. I ask you who you'd put in your top ten most influential of the last thousand years. Well, this is Moses' list. The text is clear that there are certainly other sons and daughters being born. We see that over and over and over again in this genealogy. Probably thousands of them, based on the number of years listed here. But Moses is intentionally highlighting these. These names seem to be the faithful ones in a sea of increasing sinfulness. Remember, Adam and Eve had multiple offspring. Some were commended for righteousness, and at least one was wicked. We can assume that the same is true for each of these offspring after them. Some wicked, some righteous. The point is these offspring in the line of Seth seem to be Moses' list of a faithful remnant. He lists ten generations specifically. That's a pattern we'll see again later in Genesis as well, listing the lineage of Abraham. So God's image is moving forward in a remnant, even as wickedness is spreading. What about God's blessing? The blessing of being fruitful and multiplying. Yes, that's moving forward too. We have a list of offspring here. The promise of Genesis 3.15 is alive and well. Point two, death and life. Let's keep going. We've just spent time being reminded of the honor and dignity of mankind. Being created in God's image. Being tasked with the blessing of filling the earth with that image. None of that was completely lost in the fall. But this text wants us to remember something else, too. Amidst tremendous blessing, something's terribly wrong. Did you guys notice any patterns as we read through this genealogy? There are lots of patterns, actually. But one vital one is the gloomy reminder of death. Do you see how repetitive Moses is here? Look in your Bibles. The pattern is this. Name lived X number of years. Fathered Y lived X number of years after fathering Y. Had other sons and daughters. All his days were X years, and he died. Over and over and over again, the refrain is, and he died. It's one word in Hebrew to add punch to it. 
It'd be like a genealogy in a movie that's punctuated with a gunshot each time for dramatic effect. What Moses wants us to see is this. While God's purposes and his plan are still alive and well, while God's image and blessing are still moving forward, so is the curse. God wasn't lying in the garden when he said this. Verse 17 of chapter 1, or chapter 2. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God tells them, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What did Satan say to the woman in chapter 3, verse 4? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Satan and God tell two different stories, don't they? One is lying, and one's telling the truth. Moses, here in Genesis 5, is clearly showing us that God was telling the truth. Even though this this godly line of seeds is highlighted, the image and blessing live on. Even though that's true, the penalty of the curse is still there. And he died, and he died, and he died. But remember, where, when, when there's a clear pattern in Scripture and it's broken, the author wants us to actually focus in. Well, in our text today, there's three different places where the pattern is broken, which just so happened to align with our three points for this sermon. Funny how that works out. The three places that the pattern are broken are these. Adam, in verses 1 through 3, highlighting image and blessing. Lamech and Noah at the end of the text, which we'll come to later. And this guy named Enoch, in verses 21 and 24. If you're just reading through Genesis 5 out loud like we did earlier, you get used to the cadence of death. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. As you come to Enoch, it's not there. Look at this, starting in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. Do you see that? The pattern starts off the same as every other one. Enoch had lived 65 years. Then he fathered Methuselah. Then... Where it would normally read, Enoch lived after he fathered Methuselah, we get something completely different, don't we? Instead of telling us that Enoch lived, Moses tells us that Enoch walked with God. It's as if he's saying walking with God is different than merely living. So what does it mean to walk with God? Later on in the Minor Prophets, this phrase was used to describe the walk that priests would take into the Holy of Holies in the temple to talk with God face to face. They walked with God. Enoch had an intimate relationship with God himself. Marcus Dodds has this amazing quote explaining the extent of this phrase. And I'm not going to read it all, but... Here are a couple of excerpts. He says, Enoch walked with God because he was his friend and liked his company. 
I love that. Because he was going in the same direction as God and had no desire for anything but what lay in God's path. We walk with God when he is in all our thoughts, not because we consciously think of him at all times, but because he is naturally suggested to us by all we think of. Dodds goes on later to say, when some change in his, meaning Enoch's, circumstances is thought of, he has first of all to determine how the proposed change will affect his connection with God. This is the general nature of walking with God. It is a persistent endeavor to hold all our life open to God's inspection and in conformity to his will. Finally, Dodds writes this. He says, it is easy then to understand how we may practically walk with God. It is to open to him all our purposes and hopes to seek his judgment on our scheme of life and idea of happiness. It is to be on thoroughly friendly terms with God. Enoch walked with God. And I want to point out that this wasn't just a brief momentary thing. No, he walked with God for 300 years. Talk about a long obedience in the same direction. This is faithfulness. And in this faithfulness, with, with death all around him, what do we see? Look at the text, verses 23 and 24. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, there it is again, and he was not, for God took him. Again, the pattern's broken. And he died, and he died, and he died is broken with, and he was not, for God took him. This is amazing. Enoch, like those who will be alive at the second coming of Christ, didn't taste death. God just took him. Can you imagine the amount of certainty that this gave God's people concerning his promises? Even if you do die here on earth, there's another realm that you're going to be taken to. There's, there's hope of heaven and eternal life with God himself. Many of the great ones in the Old Testament knew this truth. Look at Job 19. Job 19, 25 through 27. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Or how about Daniel? Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. He says, And many of those who sleep in the dust, meaning die, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This hope of life, it is the exact hope that Paul told us to encourage one another with in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18. You remember that? Paul says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Enoch walked with God, and God took him to be with him forever. Now, I want to return to this phrase, walked with God. There's even more gold here for us to mine. What did this walk with God practically look like for Enoch? Well, we're not left in the dark. The New Testament actually tells us. Back to the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. It says, by faith, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Did you catch that? The key component of Enoch's walk with God was what? Faith. His faith pleased God. And what did his faith consist of? He believed that God was real, that he exists, that he is who he says he is. Enoch trusted this with all of his heart. And he believed that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch believed that God was a generous, benevolent God who gives good gifts. That's what Enoch believed. Enoch also believed the other side of this coin, that God would judge the wicked for evil. Look with me at Jude 14 and 15. Jude 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch... The seventh from Adam, so it's the exact Enoch we're talking about. The seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch believed that God justly judged the ungodly. He preached this truth, apparently. Enoch's faith was central to his walk with God. So I'll ask you this morning, do you know God like this? Do you walk with him? Both sides of what Enoch believed are crucial. They're the difference between eternal life and death. First, God is a holy God who will execute judgment on the ungodly for their deeds of ungodliness. Here's the bad news. That's all of us. Every single one of us have committed sins and deserve God's just judgment. But the good news is this. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth. He obeyed God's law in every way that we haven't. And those who seek him, just like Enoch believed, will be rewarded, according to Hebrews 11. What will we be rewarded with? 
First and foremost, we're rewarded with Jesus' righteousness. When he died on the cross, not only were our sins paid for, Jesus' righteousness was then credited to us. That's the greatest and most undeserved reward that we could ever get. And because of that, we get to then walk with God. We get to have an intimate, face-to-face relationship with him forever. That's what Enoch in Genesis 5 points us to. And how do we access that reward earned for us by Jesus? Through repentance and faith. Through turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. Through faith, you and I can walk with God. Now, I know I'm a broken record on this. But do you see how Moses is again painting with contrast here? He's trying to show us the contrast between these two lines of offspring. The seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15, and the seed of Eve in Genesis 3.15. Last week, we saw that Lamech was the seventh child from Adam in the line of Cain. He was evil, a polygamist, brutal murderer who was full of vengeance. If you're keeping score, who's the seventh, the seventh child from Adam in the line of Seth? Enoch. Do you see the contrast? One of them walks in front of his wives and prides himself in death. One walks with God and represents eternal life. These two different lines of seeds are two very different paths, two very different ways of life. That's what we're meant to see. Back to the pattern of this genealogy. The pattern was broken to highlight God's image and his blessing. It was broken again to highlight life in the midst of death. And it's broken one more time. Point three, hope. Look with me at verses 28 through 32. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. First of all, it's important for us to know that this is a different Lamech from the one in chapter 4. Again, there's an intentional contrast. Same name, very different outlook. Do you see the hope that comes from this Lamech in chapter 5? This Lamech understands what the curse meant for humanity and the world. Remember the curse. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is God speaking to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply, multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The key word throughout, it's repetitive, is pain. Lamech remembers this curse very well. Do you know what he also remembers? God's promise. The promise of Genesis 3.15. The promise that one of Eve's offspring would crush the head of the serpent, thus bringing rest, relief from pain. Look at what Lamech names his son here. Noah. Noah. Noah sounds like the Hebrew word nuah, which means rest. For whatever reason, we don't know why, but for whatever reason, Lamech believed that Noah would bring salvation from the curse, rest and relief from pain. And in some ways, he did. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. The point here is that there's hope of comfort from the curse through the line of Seth. There's real hope here. There's so much for us to to meditate on and to learn from. I love what Alan Ross writes. He says, in a similar way, the church today is to exemplify the image of God in the world. Believers today also look for their transformation to glory, for they also have hope of relief from the curse, as indeed the whole world does. Groaning for the day of redemption, Romans 8, 22. And then he says, in the meantime, however, they, meaning the church today, must walk with the Lord. How about all of that from a boring genealogy? Brothers and sisters, both the curse and the promise are very much still alive. We live in a broken world that reminds us of the curse every single moment of every single day. Yet, in the midst of that, in Jesus Christ, there's hope. Rest in the certainty of that hope. Bear God's image well and walk with God. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So will you consider going on a walk with God this week? Let's pray.